The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined by my special guest friend, Rich Rebar. Uh, you know, we do the Friday show during the season with one another. I gave I gave Rich some time off because we grinded, we got after it, we did we did playoff shows, and uh, but I figured it was time. We are now it's June eleventh. People are back. They're in drafts. They're ready to go. Uh, the the best ball mania on underdogs filling up. Uh, I've been grinding these uh, these drafts on DraftKings. They're very soft. I would say anyone who's drafting right now, if you want soft drafts, the best ball drafts are on DraftKings. Uh, football guys, players, championships have started. It's uh, it's it's just about here, Rich. Yeah, absolutely. I've I've missed uh, talking to you on Friday mornings. Uh, it's nice to get get back and and, and talk to you here. Uh, I've just I've only done like five or six best ball manias. I've mostly been playing an FFPC so far. I like the, that you said brought up the DraftKings things. I have to check that out. But uh, I've been doing more FFPC stuff this year. I've been trying to make a concentrated effort to go up a bit, like for the bigger prizes, and bigger yeah. bigger uh, bigger pools. So I've been focusing efforts on on that site more. So I've I've been drafting a lot of early tight ends, which has not been my mo in a number of years but when you play an ffpc you got to get into the tight end waters so that's that's interesting you are you are doing the the 350 fbgs instead of loading into best ball mania and into the millie maker on dk yeah well last year i did uh a few and i found them to be maybe it was just you know kind of like first year luck of doing but no they're soft really pl- i found it to be really plus ev because you know not i didn't win the the big tournament but, you know, you get prizes for winning your individual 12-team leagues and making the playoffs. And I like the different payout structures that FFPC has uh, for points, for winning the regular season record-wise. Me, you, Thorman, and Silva did a team in the main event. And, you know, we didn't win points, but we won our regular season. We won a, a playoff game. We ended up all getting all our money back and then some, you know, it ended up being profit. So I ended up making a good amount of money in those leagues. So I wanted to make a concentrated effort to do them earlier and do more this year. Yeah, well, I mean... For the way that I like to draft, those drafts are probably the most plus EV because the guys I want where they're going, but like you're, I'm not competing for the same players with a lot of those prize pools. The FFPC, it's old school. It's, you know, draft excited to draft Chris Carson in the third, excited to draft David Montgomery in the fourth. They do of course pile on the tight ends early. Um, But you just, you just get left a lot of guys that you really like and, you know, that is that uh, modified zero RB strategy. Like I, I last year was, I mean, last year was basically the best year for modified zero RB. Like loads of guys busted, loads of guys got hurt. There were a lot of in-season injuries that allowed you to pick up. I mean, I mean, we did this on our main event team because we lost Austin Eckler. I mean, how many guys did we pick up and spot start for one week? you know, get 16 points and toss them back. Like, uh, remember Boston Scott on Monday night? McKinnon. Got the, yeah, McKinnon. I mean, we had, we had a bunch of those guys. We had a bunch of guys. Um, and, and I find this narrative that is going around fantasy football Twitter to be very disingenuous. And I, I always hate when I don't remember who tweeted this, but I, someone was circulating the tweet that 
Only seven running backs uh, in the last like five years have been drafted outside of the top 100 picks and finished with RB1 numbers. But I think that in best ball, maybe that actually is good advice and, and, and something to heed because you, do, you need that total composite. But in the Football Guys Players Championship, in the main event, in uh, you know the I think they call it the prime time on NFC, you you can completely get by with one stud running back and then just cycling through dudes at RB two and and you should always be starting a wide receiver at flex at this point in fantasy football. Like there's just you you would have to run into such luck to be starting running backs at your flex spot. Like you would have to just run into you know, James Robinson's or David Johnson's, you know, from his rookie season or whatever, because there just are not that many running back points available in the league right now. Well, this goes back to something I harp on every off season and no one ever seems to care uh, from a content creation stance and a fantasy consumption stance is that we always at this time of year are just looking at everything backwards as like a full season yep. and everything forward as a full season. And it drives me absolutely insane because fantasy football is all about being in on the right pockets of production. And sometimes that's one week. Sometimes that's two weeks. Sometimes it's four weeks. Sometimes you'll catch an eight week stretch. It very rarely ever is like a full season, you know, kind of span where you're in on the right pockets of production. You know, last year, if you say like, Oh, well, Jacoby Myers, well, that dude's the wide receiver 50. There was like a legit four week stretch where he was like a starter. And how about, how about was, Travis Fulgham? He was the number one wide receiver yeah, in fantasy for a month, a better example, even a better example. And you know, he's getting played every week in BFS. He's getting, you know, he, he's a guy you have to make as a, cornerstone dfs plays the salary but then he's picked up and started in all those you know seasonal leagues and then he's thrown to the thrown to the wolves when he's back out uh you know guys like david montgomery you know david montgomery has this insane close of the season similar to jonathan taylor yep. but david montgomery teams weren't even in the playoffs probably. we're dead we're dead like, the, like you know he's he's basically closes like the rb8 he's basically just churning out like top five weeks the last six weeks of the season but the first 12 weeks of the season he was terrible and not yep. usable so the team's doing playoffs but you know we look back at his season in totality or look forward at these stats in totality like there's gonna be so many things that move and, and pieces that move on your roster every week uh, that people just kind of get into the weeds on this stuff and just kind of overlook that aspect of it. Like you said, like, Hey, we're starting Boston Scott one week. Like you're going to make these moves on your roster. And you, when you draft people, try Je to Jeff Wilson, drafts. Jr. Uh, Jamichael hasty. Yeah. I mean, like, like, yeah. and this <laughs> is, you are, you are right. This is, this is um, what completely gets lost in this part of the season is we think about weeks one through 17, I guess weeks one through 18 now, and we view those numbers in their totality and there is never enough micro analysis. I, I, it's starting to change a little bit, like just a, a very small amount uh, because people are, are doing spiked week research, but that's mm -hmm. in the context of best ball, which I mean, honestly, at this point, the way I'm drafting in best ball and the way I plan on drafting you know, when we do our high stakes teams, when I do high stakes teams with Pete and Pat, I, I'm going to be drafting almost like teams that you wouldn't even recognize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're you're always on the macro level. You're you're gonna you go the macro route because you don't want to go broke, right? Like that's the thing is you do you, you know you follow the the macro way of just you're not gonna completely brick anything, but then you got to go into the hood a little bit and you know kind of understand that like hey, when you draft this team in best ball, we're in best ball season, so I, the draft is all that matters. But when you draft right. these teams in seasonal leagues, 
you have to understand like you're going to churn 50 to 60 percent of your roster like regardless and you know yes. everyone tweets their teams and the, i'm in all these industry leagues where they tweet all the teams and they're like oh yeah well either that team's good i love this team i love that team uh i don't like this team and it's like listen these rosters are going to be 50 to 60 percent different at the end of the year uh and you know you people lose sight of that you don't have to always win your draft now obviously getting the most picks successfully does help does uh, help but you know right. but but you know you're you're going to churn roster during the course of the season that's just going to happen you're going to have injuries now we have this extra week in the season i don't even know like what the impact how do we even prepare to treat the running back position with this extra week now is there going to be load management will some teams be smart we don't, i have no idea how to handle the running back position with this extra game now um I mean, my sense is that adding an extra game does very little structurally, but that I I wonder if the idea of resting players, the way that guys get rested in the NBA, I I I, I actually got to give credit to it. The first person I ever saw mention this was Scott Barrett last season when he was talking about Kareem Hunt and uh, Nick Chubb, and he just threw out this idea of like, yeah, what if they just rest Nick Chubb some weeks and just let Hunt go after it? And, you know, what ended up happening is Chubb got hurt. And I thought about it, and I was like, that actually does make, like, a decent amount of sense for that position specifically. You wouldn't want to do that for your wide receivers. Right. Obviously, you You're wouldn't want to do that for your quarterback. <laughs> right, but for running back, it actually does make sense. Let him, you know, if he's got a, oh, my ankle hurts, my elbow hurts, I, you know, whatever. Like, these guys are getting tackled 20 times a game. They're going to get banged up, even if they're not you know, quote unquote injured. And I, I, I do wonder if, if a team or two does try this, like I, I it's pretty far out there, but I, I actually really like that idea when Scott threw it out and it's just kind of something I've been holding in the back of my mind since then. Yeah, I mean, well, because we already know even a 16-game season, like running back touches have been going down, like individual touches, like guys getting 300 carries. We know those arbitrary marks have been harder to hit. Uh, we add a game, our team's just going to just go business as usual. We know some will, obviously, but uh, yeah, are, are any teams going to be kind of more forward thinking and kind of go that approach? I mean, you think of like a team like like the Colts, like who had a kind of running back committee through like the whole season and then just let Jonathan Taylor go wild at the end of the year. They bring Marlon Mack back. We don't know what he's going to do, have be coming off the Achilles. But are they a team that kind of does? Like we're going to compartmentalize things some weeks. Is it, are we going to see like that from specific teams? I just don't really know because it's the first year doing it and we just don't know what teams are going to do. And then we're in this forward thinking era where some teams are just generally forward thinking that not in the NFL, it's probably more of like a 15 to 20% of the teams and right. then like a, a large bucket that aren't like it's post like the NBA where like the NBA is very forward thinking. Um, so, I mean, we're probably still going to see a lot of guys just go out and get like, you know, 20 touches while they can, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out the running back position this year with the extra week and how those touches get divvied up if teams pull the reins in because you have teams like the Rams like they have capable guys like they they could play Daryl Henderson if they wanted to well the, uh, I mean Daryl Henderson's gonna get his anyways Henderson Henderson <laughs> is my if I I told Corrine this on the show the other day I said you know I'm gonna come out with the zero RB list eventually and if but if I came out with it right now Henderson would be the number one zero RB list guy like no doubt about it for me yeah, I mean you have these teams like the Jaguars uh even the Packers like they, the they have investment to these old players yeah and they, they, they have the capability to the 49ers like they they have capable the capability to use not only multiple backs in games but also 
just say, hey, like we can go into a game with one of these guys down for a week and like say like we'll just give him a week. Like I'm just real curious to see how it plays. I know it's only one extra game. We're probably going way, way into the deep end here, but, but at the but running back position. <laughs> it, the season is already long. And any sort of change or wrinkle to the strategy, how you organize your team, there's going to be preseason games this year. That's a big wrinkle from last year. Um, and I, I think that teams are going to be thinking about these things. I think that these, these are things that teams are actively going to be discussing because, you know, it is, it's all about finding those little bit of edges and find, you know, small ways to maximize your performance. Well, you guys like you and I are doing it on some podcasts. They have to be like high level thinkers going <laughs> approaches <laughs> to their teams. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, okay. We're, I mean, and we're going to, we're going to bounce around a lot here. So hang with us, but I, I know that there is one thing that you and I, I know that we disagree on this, which is you, you are all about, buying the dip on Lamar himself where he's going in these drafts right now. I mean, he was what he, he went in the second round last year, right. In a lot of these leagues, second round or beginning of the third we round. We were talking about this. Uh, I did an AFC North podcast with uh, Chris Allen at four for four. And we were talking about how last year in FFPC, FFPC formats, if you wanted to stack Lamar and Mark Andrews, you had to do it. You had to do a two, two, three, three turn. turn. Yeah. And now you could do it at like the four or five turn. Yeah. And so I know, I know you're on board with buying the dip on Lamar, but you are, well, I, where are you at on Andrews? Are you, are you, are you smashing the button on Andrews in these FFPC drafts? Yeah, I am. Because I mean, I look at this Raven situation as opposed to what happened last year. And like, we all saw this coming. Like there was the Ravens were going to regress offensively off of 2019. Like there was no way we've seen it yeah. in the history of, of NFL football. They scored on 57% of their drives in 2019. That was the highest rate since the 2007 Patriots, uh, the undefeated Patriots. Like they were going to regress. They were still ninth in scoring offense and they actually got it going in the back half of the year. Like Lamar, the final, I want to say what it, seven games this season. He was a QB one in six of those seven games. Yeah. He had three, he had three QB scoring weeks, just through eight games. He didn't miss the one game because of COVID, which is arguably the worst football game of the year, that Wednesday game against the Steelers. Um, and then you look at just the, um, so applying that to Andrews, like we knew they were going to grass. So we knew Lamar was going to grass. Also, it's super hard to run back being the QB one back to back years. We've already known this. It's a tight, tightly packed position. Uh, over the past nine seasons, we've had eight different quarterbacks be the QB one overall. And the last guy to go back to back was Breeze in 2011 to in 2012. And the last guy to go back to back QB one in points per game was call pepper in 2003, 2004. It's just really hard to do. We saw, we should have seen the regression coming a mile away. Some people highlighted it. And, and even for Andrews, you take away like that dude scored on 11% of his catches uh, the year. That, in that's a high rate. <laughs> like he was going to regress. Um, but I still think, believe that this, this team's going to score a lot of touchdowns. Uh, they will have passing touchdowns and we'll have a high volume of passing touchdowns. I think that Lamar's easily going to have 30 passing touchdowns uh, this season. Uh, and Mark Andrews is easily the guy you want to bet on to be the recipient of those touchdowns. Mark Andrews finally became a full-time player last year. Yep. And now we hate him. And now we hate him. Yeah. So I'm drafting Andrews a ton. In fact, I bet if I went and checked my exposure right now, he would probably be my most owned player, but also Marquise Brown is cheaper this year than he was last year. Marquise Brown was like a fifth, sixth round guy last year. Now he's like round eight, nine, 10, depending on your draft and, you know, small vagaries in ADP or whatever. And his season was remembered as being very disappointing, but he 
closed the season like gangbusters. He had, uh, he had what? It was a, a hundred yards or a touchdown in like seven of the Ravens eight last games. And this is, this is my whole thesis on the Baltimore Ravens. They on 50% of their passes last year, they were targeting Des Bryant, Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin, Nick Boyle, uh, you know, just total non-athletes, non-difference makers. Those guys are being replaced by Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace, and uh, Sammy Watkins. And like, look, you can you can laugh at Sammy Watkins. You can say, you know, whatever, whatever. Sammy Watkins is like ten times the player that Willie Sneed is. I mean, on like honestly, I I, re- I think that is true. And you know, one thing that we also have become much better about realizing in football in, in, you know, 2020 is that receivers have a very tangible effect on their quarterback and that average quarterbacks can be boosted by playing with better wide receivers. And like, I, I feel like this, this year specifically will probably be the best offensive environment that Lamar is going to have for however long his career goes, because you got Brown entering year three, you have Andrews entering year three, you have Watkins, who's 27. You have first-round wide receiver Bateman, who we all love. I, I like Tylen Wallace. You know, I'm, I'm not saying Tylen Wallace is like, you know, the next Des Bryant or whatever, but like t- Tylen Wallace to me right now is a better player than Chris Moore, who look how many snaps Chris <laughs> Moore played in Lamar Jackson's MVP season. You'll be, you'll be absolutely shocked. So like, not only do I think that he, they will be more efficient passing, I also... I do, and I know this is the part you disagree with. I do see some Buffalo Bills stuff here where they give Lamar more dropbacks and they let him pass more often. And that I'm not going to say like this is happening for sure. I'm just saying I view this in the range of outcomes. Yeah, I think the way it's gone through this on Twitter is just a typical Twitter situation where like you bleed out the gray. There's so there's no nuance in the take anymore. You either believe the Ravens are going to throw more or you don't. But honestly, both both parties are correct. Like they absolutely are going to throw more and I would still bet that they're in the bottom half of the league. And pass so that's, so, but that, but even, even going from what, 430 right. passes to 500, like that's a pretty meaningful difference, especially when you're talking about Andrews and Brown, we don't really have any, con- like you can't have concerns about them at their ADP, but like it's, it's big for Lamar and it's just big for the offense as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And and basically we're going to have to always now with this extra game, at least for the foreseeable few seasons is talk about just per game stuff right you know? we right. can no longer talk about just like a guy throwing 500 pass attempts like everybody 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 better get to 500 pass attempts this year uh, or there's gonna be something to really talk about a conversation we had on what teams are doing offensively uh but yeah i look at it as it's gonna so the pass attempts are gonna rise but not only they're gonna rise but they have they're gonna add efficient pass attempts and that's what i care about and that's why i'm more in 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 tune to say like, man, I'm going to buy this dip on Lamar Uh, because you don't take rational coaching doesn't remove or neuter the best attribute of your best player. And that's Lamar Jackson's rushing is the best. It's unique to any offense in the NFL, but what you can do is accentuate it and you elevate it. And that's what the Ravens are trying to do. The Ravens didn't have any capability to throw outside the numbers to anyone outside of Marquise Brown. That's why Lamar's middle. That's why it totally looks like right now. Lamar can only throw, can only throw the middle. Yep. Um, And then you look at the predictability factor, like the Ravens just have to be far less predictable than they were last year. And, And maybe they got pigeonholed because of the personnel that remains to be seen, but you look at just Lamar's, you know, his passing splits on first down, 
you know, first down passing, he's, he's one of the highest quarterbacks in the league in first down uh, rushing attempts, you know, the team is the Ravens running on first down. Uh, He's the bottom of the league and throwing on, on first downs. Uh, Then you look at the situation is if you don't run effectively on first down, you're putting what terrible passing situations, second and long third and long Uh, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson had 45% uh, of his pass attempts come in those second and and third downs of needing seven or more yards and his yards per attempt dropping those because that's the kind of player Lamar Jackson is. We don't need to get in a debate of like, can Lamar Jackson throw? We know that when the Ravens and Lamar Jackson have been pressed to throw the ball in the years past through Lamar Jackson and what they put on the football field, that it's put them behind the eight ball when they have to pass. For sure. Inarguable. Yeah. And they need to put the offense in better situations. And now they have the capability to do that. Cause you're adding more efficient targets. You're adding less predictability. Cause you're adding a guy that can win in both capacities inside and out in Rashad Bateman. Uh, you're adding Sammy Watkins. who you said like we can poke fun at Sammy Watkins. If he's a complete upgrade on what they had. Um, and then we, you know, maybe they get something out of Josh Oliver, who's been really snake bit the first two years of his career. That's um, true. We know too. That, yeah. We know they're going to use multiple tight ends, you know, Nick Boyle's going to be the blocking guy, but they, you know, they could use Josh Oliver or someone they used Hayden Hurst two years ago uh, and yeah. try to get a season like that out of him. Like, does that make Josh Oliver viable for fantasy? No, but it makes the offense a lot more viable, uh, adding an athletic guy that can do some things. So I look at it as the, I still am more interested in Lamar as the guy getting the biggest title, title wave going here, the biggest raise um, over the individual pieces. Uh, I do like Andrews where he goes, especially because like I said, I've been playing on FFPC. So he's like kind of the guy that like, because if you were to ask me like what tight ends have the best odds that have double digit receiving touchdowns, there's no way you wouldn't get to him as like the second or third guy. Easily true. Yeah. Not the first. So like I'm someone I know that, you know, as someone that that invests in you know all this the spreadsheet analytics though but you know from playing with me is i value touchdown production it's hard to predict touchdown and there's a touchdown production and it's highly they varying, swing but, your week so much though but we still do know kind of the signal of what players are going to have opportunities to score touchdowns and that's what i think it gets shunned aside and people are like well i don't focus on touchdowns at all i still build my team's really with a lot of touchdown upside and Mark Andrews, the guy that carries a lot of touchdown upside. Uh, so I've been really looking at him in his area where he goes, especially now that Hawkinson has completely jumped him. I still think in non full PPR and Andrews is a better pick than, than Hawkinson. Uh, but with the full PPR, I think Hawkinson is going to, is going to beat him. It's going to beat him in totality. But when we talk about touchdown swing weeks, Hawkinson can also be a guy that goes four to five games without a touchdown where Andrews probably won't, you know, um, especially this season with the offense rising. Uh, Brown is Brown is the toughest guy for me because his ADP has fallen to a spot where it's like, you're just not going to have pushback on the ADP. I do just worry about him getting, being the guy that gets the, the largest squeeze in this situation. Cause if you look at it in terms of percentage of wide receiver targets, he had 45% of the Ravens wide receiver targets. Only Devontae Adams had a higher wide receiver target share than Marquise Brown. And he still was 49th at the position in targets per game. That's right. going to come down. W- Willie Sneed was the next highest target wide receiver at 48 targets. But Bateman and, and uh, Tammy Watkins are going to command more than 48 targets. So that's my one concern at Brown, but I just have no pushback on the ADP because he's going wide receiver 45 the past week. Like what, I've got no pushback in anyone's wide receiver 45. I have pushback on some people's wide receiver 45. <laughs> Like, you know, you know, a guy who I can't draft at cost right now is Devonta Smith. Like, I feel like, I feel like his ADP has gotten really out of control. The, the, you know, the Eagles wide receiver I've drafted the most thus far is Fulgham. 
Fulgham is the one that I've taken because he's the natural replacement for that Alshon, you know, role on the outside. And the the Eagles, this is Corain's like biggest talking point, but the Eagles wide receiver coach doesn't want any of their guys to play 100% of the snaps in a game. He like rotates through them. So, you know, Smith and uh, Smith and Ward and Fulgham and Rager, they're all going to be rotating snaps a ton. Um, and I've been taking Rager too, but like, I, I feel like the market is very confident that Smith leads the team in targets. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was Rager. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Ward. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Fulgham or Smith. And I just feel like that uncertainty is not priced in at all. Yeah, I, I have to pull it up. I did a study on this last year, though, for, like, uh, teams, uh, wide receiver ones that are, like, drafted outside of, like, the wide receiver four range. And the yeah. hit rate is, like, really low. On really? Those, you always oh, hear, like, interesting. Yeah, it's really – the hit. I'll, I'll have to pull it up. I'll try to find it at one point when we move on in the conversation. And uh, But, yeah, because you always hear it's like, well, you can get this team's wide receiver one at this point in the draft, right? Like, you hear it all the time. That's and, like the Lions thing right now. Like, whichever one of those guys ends up being the wide receiver one, they're all free. Yeah, and it's also Devontae Smith thing. It actually also applied to Rager last year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and we saw that that uh, did not work out. Um, I'll try to find it, though. But I haven't really been drafting any of these Eagles wide receivers. The interesting the thing that I will say is about the Eagles passing game, though, is unlike this Ravens passing game, which was a great pivot point into this, uh, that has been kind of, from a passing attempt stance, been kind of reeled in because of Lamar's rushing ability, Jalen Hurts averaged 34 pass attempts per game. He was he hucking the ball, year. dude. Hucking like, it. They were throwing it around without, like, with no, with no, uh, you know, reason to reel him in. So, I mean, there are pass more pass attempts to be had there um, than assumed. I'll try to see if I can find this real fast. I know I wrote it up at the end of last year. Well, that's because Jalen Hurts is uh, he is a different style of quarterback than than Lamar is like Lamar is kind of more of like a, a scrambler, and they you know you can call the read option stuff for him, but like. Hertz, Hertz is maybe like even a little bit more like uh, Cam, like like uh, not not Pete Cam, but like uh, like three years ago Cam, maybe. Like I'm not putting anyone on on Pete Cam's level, especially you know a, a second round pick who had to transfer schools in uh, in college. But like her, her and Hertz has just uh, he is like more accurate than Lamar. Like he he is he is a more accurate down the field thrower. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Eagles have like, you know, sustainable passing volume or whatever. All right, here it is. I found it. So I mean, go. this and put this as a, as a uh, an article in front of the paywall this year. Cause this was like a, uh, when I did like a macro top down thing, like a few. So, Oh, it was coming into last year. It was over the past 10 years, there were 122 wide receivers that were the team's first wide receiver selected in fantasy drafts that were taken outside of the top 24 wide receivers in ADP. So taken as a wide receiver three or lower in fantasy drafts of those 122 players, just 28 turned in a top 24 season. So 23%, only 15 turned into the wide receiver one scoring season. Um, but again, that's more of a top down approach. Like that's not to say you can't run into a guy that has like three weeks of being good, you know, Yes. Uh, like which we talked yeah. about, that's kind of a lead in. Uh, but yeah. So you look at like the, the, the actual hit rates of those guys being like season long, different, different, uh, differentiators are, are, is really low. Like if you're expecting Devonte Smith to come in and hit the odds are really low, but now can Devonte Smith have a four or five week stretch where he is like that guy? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it is interesting. Yeah. And you get to like, uh, even lower, it, it gets even worse. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to run these back because I did a running back one and a wide receiver one, but they were behind paywall last year. Maybe I'll put them in front this year and we'll do some of this stuff. Because running back, the running back discourse has been really hot this year because of the zero RB thing. Uh, we've seen like, a guy like Jack Miller has been really doing a lot of work on running backs. Denny's been doing a lot of work again. I've seen Amico starting to do stuff. So maybe I'll have to run that so we can see which kind of uh, – uh, running backs we want to target in the later rounds because actually it is a whole true for running backs like running back handcuffs like pure handcuffs running backs attached to uh running backs attack uh taken in the first round have like a super low bad hit rate but like again like a guy like tony pollard would apply to that last year but if you started tony pollard the one week he started you got the rb1 that week in your lineup yep <laughs> yeah which is why which is why year after year the high-end handcuffs continue to be drafted very highly even without production right remember ben tate when he was airing foster's handcuff just used mm -hmm. to be like a seventh round pick every single season and that just was like it is what it is yeah you you can't, you can't really you get, get away guys, from it then sometimes you get these guys like alexander madison who we overweight being yes. the replacement because he doesn't have the same role you know anytime dalvin cook has missed time the vikings have played a third down back along with alexander madison remember last year they played the falcons and they got game scripted out everyone went and played madison in dfs and amir abdullah and remember kirk cousins throws like a pick six to start the game yep. and it, they're down like 21 nothing to the falcons and that dude played like seven snaps <laughs> like the rest of the game and madison you got hold, hold you got caught holding the bag and this went back to the year before they played like a like you said abdullah and then later in the year dalvin cook missed time but it was a favorable game script and i think they might have played the lions and madison smashed because they were ahead of game script and but you you know a lot of the times these guys just don't take over the full workload of those guys getting taken in the first round the Bengals would be like that this year i see everyone trying to do the Bengals thing again even though mixon just missed time last year for 10 games and we couldn't get it right any week of who to play uh in that backfield and people are already trying to figure out who it's going to be again like i guarantee you if joe mixon misses time again the Bengals do not use one guy like joe mixon yeah no you are you are right yeah none of the because none of those guys is good enough like right Samaj P Ryan is not Tony Pollard it's very different circumstances yeah yeah uh okay the Seahawks passing offense first off do you think that Pete Carroll is just going fully back to boomer ball like are we back to you know 28 passing attempts and just trying to run as much as possible or do you think that you know, as in the beginning of last season, do we, do we get to see chef Russ? Well, I can't fully disclose what I know about that situation from last year, but I know there was some, some stuff that, uh, that forced Brian Schottenheimer's hand uh, during the course of the season as well. Uh, sure. To yeah. reel back. And, and that's, that's kind of always the concern with them, you know, what they do. Uh, you know, I've already seen people talk, talk about the Russell Wilson splits, you know, the back half and front half. I mean, that's stuff that's just, that's more variance in the team approach. I have no idea what Sean Waldron's going to do though. Uh, what kind of system he's bringing. A lot of people thought initially he would just do what Sean McVay did, but this guy's coached under Josh McDaniels. He's coached under Charlie Weiss as well. Uh, they could do, they did, they might not just have a complete roller over that offense. Plus you never know what Pete's going to want them to do. Uh, right. You know, so, and then you look at just the talent of this receiving core. I mean, you add Gerald Everett, I believe is a plus, but we don't know what Dwayne Eskridge is going to be. I mean, I don't see how anyone could 
could accurately kind of look at Dwayne Eskridge and anything he put on film last year and yeah. be able to diagnose it. The dude was 24 years old and better than every athlete in the Mac. Like they were just giving him the ball and he was just better than everyone else. It was like right. watching, like, it was like watching like a, like a 12 year old kid play against like eight year old kids. <laughs> like, it was, I mean, he didn't do it. There was nothing with like any actual receiving nuance Dwayne Eskridge showed. Uh, he was just a better athlete and a better player with the ball than all those players in the, in the Mac that he was playing against. So we don't know where we're going to get out of him. So right now, when you look at this offense, it's Tyler Lockett, it's DK Metcalf, and Chris Carson, and the rest of these pieces are kind of just Joes, right? Like, they, it's the same situation. We don't really know if there's any talent outside of those guys. Um, so we'll have to remain, it remains to be seen, like, what they're forced into from that route as well. But I, no matter what system they run and what they're going to do, we know that their best players are still DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in the passing game. So I'm not as really worried about like Lockett's, you know, volatility from last year. Right. Uh, Same. The big target spike, 130 targets, even if those come down a little bit uh, on a per game basis, because we're adding a game again. Um, If he's in, if he's in just like the, you know, seven to nine target range. Uh, like he's, he's going to be fine. If he's right around seven targets per game, he's a guy that's going to be fine. Cause Russ is a guy that's shown over the course of his career. He's just the guy you want targets from you. It's the reason why we were on DK Metcalf last year. Uh, Big you time, know, yeah. And it's the reason why I have a little more trepidation with Chase Claypool making a DK Metcalf like jump because we have to invest in Ben In Ben. Uh, it, what does Ben have coming a year off of Tommy John surgery? I mean, he was so bad downfield and the guy like Claypool who has like that archetype build of where he gets his targets from like DK Metcalf. Uh, we were investing. We knew Russ was fine with those types of targets. We still have to question whether Ben is fine with those types of targets. And that's hey, the beat writers say he looks great, man. The beat writers are they're all on board. They say he looks awesome. But we want Russell Wilson targets is basically what I was just going to say. Like whoever he, whoever the hell he's throwing the football to, and no matter how many times he's throwing it to, like they're going to be efficient targets. Yeah. I mean, late round tight ends never work out anymore. Like the tight end position is completely done, but, but Everett is very fascinating to me because 80 targets from Russell Wilson would be like 120 Jared Goff targets in terms of (laughs) fantasy points. Like, honestly, like, and, and the, the other sneaky thing is they throw to their tight ends a lot in the green zone, like inside Mm -hmm. the 10. But in years past, that's been spread out between three dudes, right? Hollister, Disley, Olsen. Like, it's not been a reliable role. But Everett is like – I mean, Everett would be the best tight end Russ has ever played with because he didn't even play with peak Jimmy Graham. He played with uh, retirement age Jimmy Graham. Yeah, and then Torn Patella, Jimmy Graham. But we've seen that offense. It's why people keep chasing those tight ends, though. You brought up Hollister and Disley. Like, those guys got picked up consistently on waivers and even had some pockets of production. You know, Hollister, the back end of 2019. Last year, none of those guys had any consistency. But it's because of, like we said, the types of targets. You're getting valuable targets from Russell Wilson. He's been first or second in end zone pass attempts in each of the past four seasons. Uh, so, I mean, if you can just say I get a tight end attached to a, a really good quarterback and we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't mind throwing a dart on him. I've had him ahead of Ferkser the entire time this off season. So I didn't even have to adjust for, uh, you know, Ferkser getting Julio'd. Right. Yeah. Are you, are you still, are you still interested in Ferks or just completely done now? A little bit. I mean, I still think that when you look at, uh, the way that that team has used the, 
uh, tight end position. Ferkser has 28 red zone targets the past two years. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, you look at, and you also look at Johnny, the way he was using the red zone. So I still think he can be a, I still, th- I, I taught in the write-up, I actually called him uh, a Tanyanesh player. I think he's more of a Rob Tanyan role. Uh, he'll, yeah. He, he's not going to get a lot of targets, I don't believe, but I think he's going to get efficient targets that could be useful for fantasy downfield targets because they're still going to run play action and then red zone end zone targets. Um, but I mean, this team's going to throw the football a lot to Julio and AJ Brown. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's definitely true. What about, what about new England pass catchers? I mean, this is the cheapest Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith have ever been. No, I mean, no one is drafting Nelson Aguilar or Kendrick Bourne or in Keel Harry. I, I do I've, think I've been hammering Aguilar in best ball. Interesting. Cause I, I have taken Myers. I have taken, I've, I've stabbed at Myers late, but I mean, to be honest, that's kind of an anti-data stance because Aguilar the last two seasons, he dude, it's the facts are he's just been good. The fact the fact of the matter is that Nelson Aguilar has been good for the last two seasons. I I, I don't know if I'll draft a lot of them when we get to August, but in these best balls, I've been taking them a lot. Uh, just yeah. because of the big play upside and you know, kind of his, you know, they moved him outside last year. They got him out of the slot like the Eagles had him in for the past four seasons. And, you know, he kind of thrived winning downfield. And Cam actually was worse intermediately and in the quick passing game last year and downfield he was actually fifth and in, in in completion rate on throws over 15 yards downfield they just didn't throw a lot of them because he didn't have the players demir bird was like his best deep threat uh the thing that worries me about jacoby myers though is the addition of henry and Janu because this is a team that is just telling you like we're gonna play we're gonna run 12 or we're, yeah. and they're gonna play a lot of 12 so how much is your slot receiver gonna be on the field in, in tw- if you're gonna live in 12 that's what worries me about myers uh, the most. I have no problem with him though, because like they say, I'm not going to pick apart guys that are going that way in drafts. If you like a guy, you like a guy. If you should only at that point in drafts, you should only be focused on the positives. You shouldn't be trying to talk yourself out of your 18th round pick. You say, why do you want to have this guy? Uh, Myers has been productive. He's a lot like Rashard Higgins. Like he keep he's he's only been pro- he's been productive anytime they've given him a runway or had to yeah, throw him the football. That's and true. Then they, and, and then they go away from throwing him the football when like they're, they're fully healthy. Uh, Higgins was the guy I couldn't believe he resigned. He should have went somewhere else. Uh, like imagine Higgins on the Chiefs. You put a shot Higgins on the Chiefs. Oh my God! I mean, I can't even. I can't even, dude. The Chiefs, the Chiefs not getting Smith Schuster is just bumming me out so bad because they, they it's, anybody. It, it's set up. It's set up for. I mean, Hardman has to sink or swim. I mean, like if Hardman, if Hardman has any ability to play professional football, it, he's got to do it. Like the Chiefs legitimately need McCall Hardman to be good. And if McCall Hardman is not able to function inside of their offense this year, they're in big trouble. Like they are, they, it feels crazy to say that a team who's made, uh, you know, two of the three last Super Bowls was a D Ford offside away from making three straight Super Bowls. It feels weird to say that they would be in trouble with the best quarterback, but you just, you simply cannot be relying on Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle and Cornell Powell for half your offense. Yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> we, we need to do unit ranks for the, the team preview book that's coming out uh, for Warren's book and you get to the chiefs and it's like, well, they have Kelsey and they have Tyree kill. And like, how much weight do those guys carry if you're just focusing on the whole position? Cause the rest of these guys are all not good. Yeah. <laughs> if Tyreek misses time, you know, this is you're, like a defense is going to just be able to hone in on Kelsey. You and I talked about this during the course of the season last year, repeatedly just about how much too high safeties 
the, the Chiefs offense was facing and why how Kelsey was able to just go rampant last year. An already good player uh, was just getting set up to like teams who were picking their poison and they were choosing Tyreek to not beat them, even though the, the Chiefs ended up moving him around because they're good rational coaching staff. But if Tyreek were to miss time, you know, teams would be able to focus in a lot, uh, a lot more on Kelsey and he'd still be good. That's not me saying the run away from Travis Kelsey, but you don't, your teams aren't going to respect any of these other guys. If Tyreek Hill misses time, nobody's going to respect any of these other bums. And that's what they all are. I mean, Cornell Powell is a, a 24 year old dude from Clemson. Oh man. Uh, I mean, like, there's not a lot to really like there, man. I mean, he's he's going to fill the Watkins role. Hardman has just shown no actual nuance as a wide receiver. We talked about this a minute ago at Dwayne Eskridge. Yeah, it's, like, just, it's just speed only. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really – they're really lost on a lot of depth. Even if – even they were, like, kicking the tires on guys like T.Y. Hill, and even if they would have got one of those guys, it would have been – Tajay Sharp <laughs> was on their <laughs> roster for a minute before going to Atlanta, and, like, when I saw that Tajay Sharp was on their roster, I was like, shit, he might be the starting slot wide receiver week one. I don't know how they haven't kicked the tires on Golden Tate yet. Not that I'm endorsing Golden Tate as like a good football player. But like He probably does end up in Kansas City, huh? But like if you're going to – because all the guys they've pursued so far have been kind of slot guys, like you, like Juju, T.Y., like guys that are largely going to run inside. Uh, so I figure like, like Golden Tate's just floating out there. Why haven't they kicked the tires on him? I saw recently a couple weeks ago they, they brought in D.D. Westbrook, but nothing yep. came about it. Uh, I was like going in and like picking up DD Westbrook in dynasty leagues, just in case like that he was yep. cut in just to well, see I don't, I don't have there. to, I don't have to pick him up cause he's already on the back end, all my rosters. So I didn't even have to go through and I didn't even have to create the claims for him. He was already there. I mean, I, I guess there is some chance that Patrick Mahomes is so otherworldly that he can turn, you know, I mean, I, I, I honestly, in almost every best ball draft, I on, I take one of Hardman Robinson Pringle or Powell just because I mean, spike week should be there regardless. Like D Rob has had like two spike weeks a year, the entire time that Mahomes has been there. Um, but there, I think there's some chance that Mahomes is so good. He turns one of them into like, you know, the, the wide receiver 35 for a year, just based off of how amazing he is. Um, and, and I, I will say there's like a, I'm going to put it at like a 3% chance of a McCall Hardman year three breakout. I think that is as confident as I can get that, that he is, the 3% is as high as I can give it. I feel like you still have to take swings on him just because uh, he's cheap. He is cheaper. He is cheaper. This is the cheapest he's been in any year of his career. And this is the least competition for touches he's ever had. Right. Yeah. The so. big thing last year when, cause I was on the other side of the fence with Harden last year. Was just, yeah, I was you know, so wrong. God, I was so wrong. Well, just as his, his splits when all the, and when no one played, uh, you know, versus when they, he had like 13 targets total when Watkins or Hill played. And well, I was yeah. just worried about that. But where he goes now and then the range of outcomes he has, I feel like at least in these best balls, you have to swing. I want to get to August and you, these guys turn into be roster cloggers. Because Hardman's going to be one of those guys if you draft him, he'll be, you'll, you'll talk, always talk yourself into keeping him on your roster. In yes. yes. <laughs> you'll be like, well, he could still get this. Then you end up not He's the, he is weeks. the, um, <laughs> he is the Tony Pollard of wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, this always happens in seasonal leagues, and people do that with their with the difference between best ball when getting there. Is you have these guys, and you're just like, you don't want to cut them because you talk yourselves in the apex ceiling range of outcomes. But then you go like eight, ten weeks in the season, and you don't even play these guys. They just sat on your roster the whole time, and you never even played them. I'm someone that likes to have a lot more flexibility with my roster. Uh, like I like to max out all my roster spots and be able to, to rotate and be able to play guys when they have a hot week or when something lines up for them. And uh, a lot of those guys end up just being roster cloggers. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh that's true. Okay. 
Saints quarterbacks. So I, for one of the first times in my life, got people on Twitter got me to change my mind about an opinion. And my, my OG opinion was Jameis Winston has this insane ceiling. And I still think that's kind of true because uh, the counter argument was the Saints passing game outside of Michael Thomas hasn't been that productive in multiple seasons. And I think that is more about Drew Brees' complete and total inability to one, create anything when the play breaks down because he couldn't move in the pocket anymore. And two, he could not push the ball down the field. Just like he it was he was physically incapable of throwing those, you know, those those formerly great and beautiful Drew Brees deep shots. And I think Sean Payton realized that. I think they they made that a huge part of their offense. And that's why you have, you know, slant boy running, you know, getting like 200 targets in a season and things like that. So I still think Jameis would have some semblance of upside because Sean Payton is not taming Jameis. He's taken, like, you're not going to get Jameis to not take shots, you know. But the thing I was wrong about is Jameis has some rushing upside, like a little bit, but not a lot, right? Like what Jameis as a rookie ran for, I think he had like 80 rushing points that he tacked on based off a bunch of short yardage touchdowns. But if Taysom is declared the starter, it will be that more conservative offense. They're not gonna. They're not gonna be throwing tons of deep shots. Though still, Taysom stronger arm than forty-two-year-old Drew Brees. But Taysom will run. I mean, just uh, matter of fact, Taysom will run. He'll run much more than Jameis. So I've been taking at the end of drafts, especially on DraftKings where it's twenty-man rosters instead of eighteen. I've been taking Traquan Smith or Troutman super super late, and then Taysom you can take in the nineteenth round. Yeah, I mean, this it's also a situation where you, you know you could end up seeing both guys play and even both. Yes, guys I think they games. will. It honestly is the galaxy brain take here is that you know theoretically you have a guy that could play catch up and a guy that could play at the lead, like we or, know or in between the twenties and in the red zone. Yeah, I mean, we you could really galaxy brain this situation if a team really wanted to be creative. And I know uh, a lot of you know old football heads would just say like, "Yeah, there's no way." Like, Peyton is a guy. Peyton, if of all of all thirty two head coaches, I would say Belichick would I would see the one being most willing to do this because he does not give a shit about these players' feelings. All he cares about is winning and points. Peyton would be like top five coaches. I would think would consider it. He he has been on the forefront of doing cool stuff with their personnel for a long time. Yeah, I mean, so anytime Breeze has missed games or be forced out of a game, you know, over the past four years, it's been 10 games, they've gone really conservative. And But yes. that's been in season where you're just trying to, you know, salvage wins, wait for Breeze to come back. You know, over the course of a full season, that's going to be a lot harder to do. And when you have the must-win, like, playoff game or must-win division game, like, towards the end of the season, like, what do they do? Who do they go with? Uh, do they go the conservative route? Do they go the aggressive route? I would be interested to see if they would treat it almost like a like starting pitcher, relief pitcher situation or like oh, a yeah. situation. I would love to see them do that. I don't think that they will because, like I said, that's probably too much galaxy brain. But uh, I would love to see them do it. Like, you know, hey, the game script dictates James should be in. Game script dictates that Hill should be in. But we've seen it last year when they played the Eagles. Remember, they were chasing points and then they just left Taysom in. And he was fine still chasing points, especially for fantasy. Uh, but the, sp- the splits without Breeze and going to this more conservative route, uh, they've averaged, uh, even though they're, they're nine and one in those 10 games record wise, they've averaged a touchdown less per game, seven fewer points per game. Uh, they've lost almost a full point per drive in those games, which are, is just kind of concerning for like the, the, the parties around the Camaras and the, and the Michael Thomases. Their touch shares are going to be so high. I think it's hard to really talk yourselves out of them, though. 
Um, but yeah, the quarterback situation, you can really talk yourself into a lot of things. I've kind of gone to the situation where I just think I want Taysom to be the starter now, which kind of sucks because I'm, I'm, I'm a, I like hair on fire quarterbacks because I don't think that Jameis is ever going to be in the hair on fire situation that he is going to be in like compared to the Tampa Bay situation. We can talk no, about this never Ryan again. Fitzpatrick too. We can talk about this Ryan Fitzpatrick too, because I've seen some people run the other way with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I think that a lot of people aren't, are discounting no, the Washington um, situation. Oh, you think people are discounting are, Washington? Are, um, are overvaluing yes. Fitzpatrick's stats to the Washington yep. situation. 100%. Because, so Jameis plays. He's going to be playing in with like the best offensive line of his career and the best defense of his career. Like they're just not going to be the situations that he had in Tampa Bay. This same thing applies to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like we've the Ryan Fitzpatrick we've loved in fantasy has been this guy that's just chase points. And he, he comes he comes in in relief <laughs> for bad teams. Like it's he. I I feel very bad for the people who are. Like I've seen this opinion bandied about that, like oh Ryan Fitzpatrick is a great late round quarterback, and I I just think I I, I think Washington is overvalued in like every sense of the market. I I think they're gonna bum a lot of people out. Well, for a couple, of, so I think Fitzpatrick raises the pieces more than it's like he's a good fantasy quarterback. Like sure, for yeah. Guys. Like we like Terry McLaurin's up. We like him being upgraded. I just think from an up uh, a full apex outcome stance, I think people aren't weighing in that like Washington still isn't going to be a team that's just going to like wing it around. Like, <laughs> like they're going to be still more, the probably a more conservative offense that he's been in. He was in at the start of uh, last year in Miami. So we'll see what happens uh, that way for fans. I mean, it's hard to push back on a guy that's going QB 20 as well. Like I'm not like down on him by any means, but I still think the hair on fire situations are probably not as, uh, not going to happen at the rate that they were happening in Tampa Bay two years ago in Miami when they were one of the worst teams in the NFL and he's just getting fantasy points because of the second half of games. I think there'll be a lot more structured environment. And then also people, I think, are overweighting the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick is completely capable of still playing him, his way out of this. Like, you know, like there's Ryan still Fitzpatrick has been in the NFL for 20 years and has never been good. Like there's a, there's, he, there's a very much a non-zero chance Taylor Heineke still can play this year. Yes. Yeah, I, I would rate that chance to be – I would say we're like 75% to see Taylor Heineke for at least one game this year. Like, I would feel pretty confident in that. I mean, I'm definitely not confident when I take Ryan Fitzpatrick of having him in two QB builds. Let me say that. Let me just – that's the way I'll phrase it. I guess I could have just did that. Like, I'm not taking him in two QB builds. Yeah, no, that's – uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that uh, – I think that is is pretty strong. Okay, Atlanta – passing game you know pick a pick a name out of a hat who gets the second most targets on atlanta i think that's a fascinating question i mean i'll say kyle pitts so how many is that though is it is it a flat distribution after calvin ridley like is it like 110 targets or is it are they like full-on pelting him with the ball from week one yeah i think he'll be around you know anywhere from 17 to 20 percent probably the target share is kind of where i'm at uh and it, you know it may be higher it could go higher but i think that that's about where he'll be um i mean you look at russell gage and the russell gage is a good player uh but russell gage hasn't been asked to win outside a lot in the nfl his yards per out run outside are equal to his yards per out run in the slot not very impressive but we've got a small sample of it not saying he can't do it uh Atlanta, if, if Atlanta really believes Russell Gage is good, they need to be ahead of this and extend him now while he's the cheapest he can be because he's in a contract year and they're going to have to extend Calvin Ridley too. Like the worst case scenario is Russell Gage absolutely balls out and they can't, they can't do anything about it. 
Yeah. Because they have to re-sign Calvin Ridley <laughs> and they're up against the cap, obviously, because they just had to dump a Hall of Fame receiver because of it. Uh, they need to get ahead of this. They believe in Russell Gage. They need to they should pay him now. right now. Like the Raiders yeah. did with Waller. The, the, we dunk on the Raiders a lot, but them signing Waller to that extension when they did was so so was, sharp. was big. Yeah. <laughs> it was so sharp, man. Uh so if the Falcons really believe in Russell Gage, they need to do that. But Russell Gage has the other problem too of like Kyle Pitts is going to basically he probably be a slot wide receiver. receiver. Yeah. Like I mean, so Russell Gage is going to have to win outside more than he has to this point in his career. Uh, and I just don't know if he can do that or not. I'm not saying he can't. It's just hard to project. Like, it's probably a problem you're having running into as well. Whereas I know Pitts can – they're going to use him in line. They're going to use him in the slot. They'll probably even move him outside a little bit. In the red zone, we know he's going to get he's going to get his as well. Uh, so, I, I mean, I've, I wasn't fighting against Pitts beforehand. He also wasn't a guy I was dra- wasn't drafting a ton either just because it's so rich. Uh, but – I mean, I'm definitely aboard Kyle Pitts being like a unicorn, though. He looks like yeah. the Calvin Johnson of tight end prospects. Like, there's he just does. no way around it. Yeah. Uh, what about, I mean, and and other names that people are, you know, we got the we got the the Olamide Zacchaeus camp, the Christian Blake camp. I mean, I, I think you can t- stab darts on any of these guys because Atlanta should throw a ton. You know, they play a lot of their games on turf, a lot of their games indoors. That's always good. And Look, Ridley, Ridley with this foot surgery thing. I mean, it sounds minor and seems like he should be ready for training camp, but you never, you never, you never know. You never know and you never love to hear that. Like it, it's, not, it's not, you, no one's fist pumping the news that he just had to have a <laughs> surgery on his foot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is, that's not what you're, that's not what you're wanting to hear heading into a season. We're like, I'm projecting him to get this absurd amount of volume. Yeah, that, that all I think just is relates to what we just talked about with Gage. Like, if Gage can't win outside, then this opens the door now for Zacchaeus, Christian Blake, Frank Darby, uh, yep. who they just drafted. Like, I've I've thrown some darts on Frank Darby. I don't think he's a, he's not definitely not an objectively strong looking, you know, prospect. But when you look at Darby, he played his last two years, not last year, the two previous years, behind Nikhil Harry and behind Brandon Ayuk, uh, guys that just dwarfed him in targets, but. Uh, he's averaged 20 yards per catch over his career. That's the highest rate in this draft class. Uh, and he's at 19.4% of his career receptions were touchdowns, which was fifth in this class. So there's at least something there. Uh, I don't think he's more in that Cornell polished zone that we just talked about. Like he's, you're saying one you're going to bet on, but like maybe if you squint, uh, so you throw one of these late darts at him. So if, if Gage can't win outside, that's going to open up the Christian Blakes as a chaos, the Frank Darby's of the world. Um, I can tell you one thing though, like this Hayden Hurst push, we just watch Hayden Hurst be a full-time tight end and be third on the team in targets and not be relevant for fantasy. Let's not do this again. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's, uh, that's maybe, that's, uh, that's maybe the best, that's maybe the best advice from this podcast is just don't, don't do this with Hayden Hurst. Like he has so many different ways, uh, to lose targets. What about the Arizona Cardinals? They add Rondale Moore. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald no longer there to take targets and snaps away from Christian Kirk. Now it's going to be AJ Green instead. I, I think AJ Green probably either doesn't make the team or just doesn't have the role that Fitzgerald did because there's not that organizational loyalty to him. I think their their base package will be, you know, whichever blocking tight end they want it to be: Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins, Chase Edmonds. Can can Cliff do it? Like, can, can Cliff do this? Can, can he get away from not being his own worst enemy? I, I don't know. I mean, he has all of the personnel for, for it to, for the, you know, the, the actual real air raid to enter 
into the NFL. He's got the elite wide receiver one. He's got the pass catching running back. He's got the mobile quarterback who is hyper accurate. Like he has all the recipes. Uh, you would know more about the strength and quality of the offensive line than I would. I, I don't even really know if it's good or bad or whatever. It's the best it's been, but still just kind of still but not it, that's okay though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's chill. Um, which is again one of the points of the air raid. It's supposed to it's supposed to minimize if you have a bad if you the air raid was invented to deal with bad offensive lines to deal to have inferior athletes on your offensive line and make it less of a big deal with you know quick throws and quick reads and stuff. Can can they do it? Can they ascend to the the height of of the air raid mountain, or is it the horizontal raid? <laughs> I mean, I still think it's going to be the horizontal raid just because they're growing a lot of screens and mesh. Uh, but that's what Rondell Moore does. I was a little below market on Rondell Moore pre-draft because like he just needed to find a fit, right? Like same, this is a guy that same eighty per. 80% of his career receptions were in te- within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Uh, the next closest guy was Kadarius Tony, and he had over 10% gap on him. It was just like, all right, this dude could go to a million places where he could fail. Like you had to rely on rational coaching for Rondell Moore's destination. This is at least one you can talk yourself into. It's like, yeah, he fits this. He's going to be, that's what he does. Screens and mesh. Like this is what it is. Uh so we like it. Now, can Cliff last long enough with Rondell Moore to make Rondell Moore? <laughs> irrelevant because what, what's cliff's runway here how much more does he get um, well I don't, so the thing is is they last year they it looked like they were they gonna improved. do it it looked like they, they were, were gonna do two. it yeah they were six and two <laughs> so and i two and i i think in a weird way cliff needs um he needs who mcveigh has he needs the guy with the the charts to tell him when to go for it on the sideline he needs the guy to tell him when to yeah. go for two he like because <laughs> Cliff's natural instinct is to be way too conservative. I mean, it was bad last year, but it was horrible in Kyler's rookie year. I mean, they were, Mm -hmm. he, it it was some of the biggest cuckoldery I've ever seen out of a head. Like (laughs) Jeff Fisher is looking at Cliff and telling him to get more aggressive. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe Cliff will feel more aggressive and like he can go for games now because he's not they're they're not hiding anything on offense they're they're not going to be playing anyone that cliff doesn't believe in he traded for hopkins he drafted uh rondell moore he he also drafted andy isabella who's still on the (laughs) roster he signed aj green in free agency i i guess kirk kirk would be the one that he was not responsible for is that that's because he was drafted the year before right yeah, their their offseason has been super weird because they have just signed old players on defense too. That's all they've done is signed old players uh, all around. They you know they bring it. They trade for Rodney Hudson. They sign AJ Green. They sign Malcolm Butler. They sound uh, signed Denard. Like all they've done is sign. They 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 brought in Watt, JJ Watt. All they've brought all their guys acquisitions are like over thirty year old guys. So I have no idea like what to make of this. Like what was going on at Arizona like this off season. It could be good. Maybe they, they, these guys also have something left and they they give them something this season. Uh, but they have just signed nothing but post thirty year old players this off season. It's been really weird to watch. Yeah. Uh, okay. What about what about Connor versus Edmonds? Um, I, I got to say, I don't think James Conner is any good. Like, I just I, I just think Edmonds is way better than him. Now, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that James Conner isn't just going to play Kenyon Drake's role and Edmonds will stay in the role that he's in last year. How do you how do you have that break uh, breakdown? Yeah, I mean, I still think that, you know, Conner will be at least minimum the goal line guy. He, 
you look at least compare him to the Pittsburgh guys last year too. He was clearly better than the other Pittsburgh running backs. That if you want to say that, uh, was he good? No, but he's still in the same situation was a lot better than those other guys in terms of like per touch and success rate. Uh, so there, that still is going for them, uh, for Connor in that regard. I mean, Edmonds is just one of these guys, like he's one of these tweener guys, like this is some Duke Johnson shit, right? Like, like it's, it's, he's the guy, the, the, the same archetype of running back that pulls you in, does, ends up not getting goal line carries, ends up not getting the, the touch count, you think. Rondo Moore also hurts him a little bit as well. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's true. I, I, I have not been drafting him at all. I think he's a screaming dynasty sell. Uh, yes. well, one, he, he, he falls into that. He falls into the, 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 the dreaded RB dead zone. And then two, like we talked about, like I value guys that get goal line touches. I value guys that catch passes. He at least does that. Um, but I don't know if the touchdown upside is there. Like he's like, I, why can I take Chase Edmonds? I can get like Michael Carter, like two rounds later, if I really want to get that archetype of running back. Um, but I mean, yeah. So I, I mean, to me, like I said, this just screams the Duke Johnson situation, right? Like it, like Chase oh, Edmonds yeah. screams Duke Johnson to me. Like, yeah, it, we're, we're going to be screaming for three years down the road. Like if they just gave Chase Edmonds a full-time job, like <laughs> this is the same thing, man. I can't get away from it. And he had, he has one career rushing attempt inside the five yard line through three NFL seasons. One. Yeah. You know, he was still like the RB, what, like the RB 16 in fantasy last year, I think just based off of that that passing that passing down role and he also he also scored some touchdowns from like I think like he had like a couple like 20 yarders basically which is gonna help out a ton I mean I the the real answer here is probably very similar to Baltimore where it's just draft Kyler and watch him go nuts like like what he had like 1200 rushing yards last year I think like insane I haven't been drafting a lot of Connor either like I wasn't I wasn't trying to endorse Connor either I really been drafting either Cardinals guy though to be honest yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. What other, what other teams, what other teams are, uh, are interesting. What about, what about the Bengals? How are you breaking out chase versus Boyd versus T who's your, who's your preferred target there? T's been my, my guy. I've been drafting the most, uh, he fits the archetype of guy, which, you know, we kind of leaned on. He fits the archetype of guy I look for. I think he's fallen too far with the, uh, the chase acquisition chase is interesting. They have a conversation about because if this holds his ADP holds, He'll be over the past 10 years, the second highest drafted rookie wide receiver behind Amari Cooper, who slotted in it. He was wide receiver 17, his rookie year in ADP. And those would be the only two wide receivers over the past decade that closed with wide receiver two or better ADPs. Julio was the next closest. He was wide receiver 28, his rookie year. Uh, so, I mean, you're, you're paying the tax on Chase for sure. Obviously, you know, you have the narrative street with Burrow, the system fit, everything's there for it. I really can't push back on the people that like him there. I have been taking other receivers there and just been taking Ed uh, Higgins later. Uh, I think Higgins has fallen too far. His splits with Burrow were strong. This is a team that was second in the NFL in use of three wide receivers or more last year. Uh, they were second in the NFL in 2019. They're going to use a lot of th- three wide receiver sets. We know that. Uh, so I just think Higgins has fallen too far and Boyd is fine. Like he's, I think he's more, fine. I like Boyd more. He, he's the one I'm least excited. He's the one I'm least excited about. Um, I I'm with you. I'm with you on T. It feels like T should be going where Chase is going and Chase should be where T is going. That's, that's kind of how I feel, but I mean, Chase is mm-hmm. a great, you know, he's a great player. So it's, it's not like I, I, it just felt like that's not how ADP should be. Like it feels like it feels mm-hmm. like we're getting some shiny new toy syndrome with Chase, basically, even though T was very good. 
Well, both in you know, both Chase and Pitts. I mean, these guys are guys that are being taken in from terms of ADP. Like there is no hesitation with either of these guys. Uh, <laughs> every, you know, fantasy gamers are all in. And, you know, I really can't push back on it. You know, when you look at it from like a top down view, it's just, you know, the whole thing of like you need it to happen. More so with Pitts, though, is like. Pitts, you can talk to Sony because, like, if he is a unicorn, like, there just aren't very many good tight ends. Chase, you have to take him over some pretty good players. Pretty good wide like, receivers. Yeah. You, you have a decision to make. Uh, you know, that's kind of the, the one bugaboo at Chase. That's why I just really haven't taken a lot of him, but I really don't have any problem with him as a player, his system fit, um, or that. I've just been taking a lot more of T. Higgins. Yeah. Uh, Jaguars wide receivers. I, I, do you want to do you want to dump some cold water on Lavisca Chenault? But Chenault's not even expensive. I I totally thought Chenault would go where Marquise Brown was going last year, like sixth round. But he's not. You you can get Chenault depending on which league, depending on which format. Um, you can like on on underdog, he's more expensive because the drafters there right now are, are sharper. But on uh, like in the football guys players championship and on DK, he's more like a ninth or tenth round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now now I do actually buy that ETN is bad was a bad selection for Chenault as like the gadget player. But I totally disagree with the idea that Chenault's upside is only linked to being that gadget player. Like I think he can play mm-hmm. wide receiver just fine. Yeah, he's interesting. Like I said, I don't really have any pushback uh, on him where he goes. Uh, this Jaguar situation is going to be something to figure out for sure. And it could be just a lot of oscillation throughout the season too as well. Uh, if they're a team that's only kind of like mid-pack in terms of scoring, like which one of these guys hits. I think Shark is like the ultimate Rorschach test. Like I have no idea what to think about him uh, because like he was just an okay prospect. He, he, was, a, he was a size speed guy. You know, the athletic profile was there. He yeah, was he's really on all my played. dynasty teams because he was completely free after his rookie year. Yeah, he, he, he's got the size speed profile, but like wasn't really productive at LSU. Uh, he, I think he only had more than three touchdowns. He didn't have more than a three touchdown season there at LSU. He was a, a non-early declare, so he's maxed out prospect. Uh, didn't really do anything as a rookie. We really have like a five-game sample of him being excellent in the NFL. Um, cause a lot of people think it was just last year, but the back half of 2019, he disappeared as well. Yeah. Uh, but hasn't had good quarterback play and we have seen him have like that ceiling. And then his head coach, his new head coach, there's no investment into him in a contract year, by the way, comes out and just dogs him right away. Uh, like he's the ultimate Rorschach test of like what to do. Cause like, I don't, I have no idea. Like what's the pulse on DJ shark. And they bring in Marvin Jones who has an overlap in like where he wins, where he wins. Uh, yeah. It, it was shark as well so it's like how do we handle dj shark like is he is he a value where he is is he just a hands-off player for you he's the guy like i can't figure out yeah i i take shark uh because i feel like shark's upside is so tied to lawrence being really good like if lawrence is really good i feel like the 70 catch you know 1100 yard 10 touchdown season is totally there for shark probably in a way it's not for chenault i think chenault will be used closer to the line of scrimmage at least this season and you know if shark is who i think he is yeah sure marvin jones will take some targets away but a guy like marvin jones does not stop you know didn't stop kenny galladay from reaching his ceiling isn't didn't stop aj green from reaching his ceiling in cincinnati isn't going to stop dj shark from reaching his ceiling like that that's kind of how and they don't have a tight the couple interesting things is they don't have a tight end who can take any targets away like they have no receiving tight end options at all um 
and I guess it depends on how they choose to deploy ETN. Like how many targets does ETN earn as a rookie? I, I don't know. I mean, this, the pieces here, like you could talk yourself into this being fun. Like it's not hard to like say like the Jaguars could be a fun football team. They could also, like I said, it could be a situation completely where Herb is like the new Steve Spurrier and it's just like, he can't get out of his own way and it just crashes and burns. So it's probably going to be like either a car crash or be really fun, but you can find the fun angle of this Jaguars offense. I mean, Chenault Shark, Marvin Jones, ETN, James Robinson, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that's, you could talk yourself into that working out. Yeah, yeah, you uh, you definitely could. What about any any other offenses that are are giving you trouble right now? Um, I, I'm I'm more like I think the biggest questions that we're looking at like for players like so I think one of the biggest questions going into drafts right now is do you believe Austin Eckler is going to get goal line carries or not? Because uh, if you do believe Austin Eckler is going he's to get goal line cheap. carries, then he's too cheap. But if you don't, then he's probably a trap player uh the, and you know that's i think that's one of the biggest looming questions because you look at running back the way it's set out this year every all the top running backs outside of christian mccaffrey and you you kind of even have to you have to reach for him a little bit but like uh to draw but like everyone has some red on their ledger you know dalvin cook has not played a full season in the nfl i've seen a lot and, of and all the fantasy football doctors say the shoulder thing yes. is never going away yeah, all the doctor folks say that, uh, that I follow and have come to respect over the last couple of years have said, like, it's still a problem and it's going to be a problem for the rest of his career. Uh, we've got uh, Saquon after him, who, like, ev- that's going in every direction right now. Uh, Kamara, what's the quarterback situation like? Uh, um, Zeke, 26 years old, is he washed? Uh, should they play Pollard more? Yes, that's a, they should play Pollard more. Will they play Pollard more? Probably not. Uh, but then Zeke's attached to this top five offense. He's going to get scoring opportunities. Um we still have Mixon in the area. Like, what are we going to have? Derrick Henry. It's like Mick, Mixon in. entering into year five and has never yeah. done it. But, like, he's going to do it this year, the, I guess. The Derrick Henry problem of, like, this dude just had 2,200 yards and 17 touchdowns and still couldn't even be better than the RB4 in points per game in PPR because of the way he accrues his points. Yeah. Uh, you know, all these running backs have a little bit of red on the ledger. And if you say Austin Eckler at 17 touches per game, in a system that has just bled running back points. I mean, this, this, this system, Joe Lombardi, we know the system in new Orleans, uh, the running back production they've had there, but even his two years in Detroit between Reggie Bush and Joe bell, like those guys were, they were productive running backfields for fantasy. If he just gets goal line carries, he could jump and be a top five, you know, fantasy asset, but also, like if he doesn't get these carries like then he's just in the problem where he's going to be an rb1 overall like he'll close the season as the rb8 to 10 but be a weekly rb2 on your roster um yeah that i feel like that's one of the biggest questions of the offseason because that's a guy that's going at the one two turn you can even insulate yourself with him and take an rb1 like a mix in or someone that has maybe that you can you can theoretically start zeke eckler and you could have the running back one and two in fantasy if if eckler gets those goal line carries yeah i feel like that's one of the biggest questions the offseason we just have no damn clue like what's going to happen so even lombardi when he was the actual play caller for the lions he removed both Joyke Bell or uh, both Amir Abdullah and Reggie Bush at the goal line. Both guys in the similar archetype of Eckler for Joyke Bell. Now Joyke Bell was a actual good fantasy player and a good running back in his own right when it, in his apex. This Chargers roster, like, are they going to pull him for Joshua Kelly and for Larry? Roundtree? They they, they like, straight up bench. They straight up bench Josh Kelly last year because he was Ballage, playing so yeah. bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, but like they still brought Ballage in at the goal line. That was a different regime. But uh, you know, the the big backs on this roster are Larry Roundtree and Josh Kelly. <laughs> like, and then jo- so- yeah, but they've they've played Justin Jackson like a big back, even though he's the same size as Eckler, which doesn't make any yeah. sense. But so, I mean, I feel like that's one of the biggest questions though on June eleventh. Uh, you know, Grant, right? You know, but like, you know, I feel like that's a big inflection. It's a big point question though. Eckler. Yeah, because Austin Eckler could be one of these guys that could be a top five guy or be priced accurately. Yeah. All right, man. Tell people sharp football. What do we? What do you got brewing for him right now? Uh, yeah, sharpfootballanalysis.com. Everything in the off season is free. I've just been kind of churning along, plugging out different things that I just think are interesting. I've talked about a lot of different players that I think are interesting. This offseason, Jalen Hurts, Michael Thomas, uh, Clyde edwards Lair. Wrote some articles on those guys. We'll be ramping up here. This is the last quiet period of the off season. After once training camps open, we really move downhill, and we'll start to see player ADPs really move based on news. We've seen a guys get bit hurt. Of, uh, yeah, guys will have some camp injuries, unfortunately, every year. Uh, preseason injury stuff like that but uh everything's free this off season still all the way probably up until august so just check out my work there it was great to spend a friday morning with you again <laughs> oh yeah well and we'll be cranking these out we'll get uh i'll have gretch on soon i'll have uh i i need to talk to uh yeah we'll have we'll have everyone on we're we're, we're here i'm drafting pretty much every day at this point and uh yeah we're we're ready for it so everyone follow follow uh follow reeves read his stuff over on sharpfootballanalysis.com and uh we'll be back soon everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.